Good afternoon. Welcome back to the podcast. We have been endeavoring in a series about how we read the Bible and how we study it, and we've drifted into typology and now into biblical imagery and how we read and interpret biblical images um, and the imagery that's created in biblical texts and where we um, look at it and how we make connections across biblical texts and that kind of a thing. And as we've drifted into this understanding of biblical imagery, I want to take a minute and do a dive into a particular image that I think is an interesting one and highlights some practical ways Um, that we can go about endeavoring to study biblical imagery and sort of gets us into a bit of a process. And so we're going to dive into the imagination and imagery of the Bible today by taking a look at something that takes place in the text of Revelation. Now, I know full well that Revelation can be a very intimidating text to read, in the Bible. Uh, it's, it's often something um, that is just a bit confusing, and it's uh, grand. It's larger than life. The symbols, the scale, the grandeur of the text's visions, uh, even the violence, and the ambiguity of what's going on in the text of Revelation present us with some serious challenges that make understanding and interpreting the text difficult. Uh, The difficulty is expressed pretty consistently in fear. Someone in a small group once told me that they avoid studying Revelation because the book is scary. I understand where that's coming from in the set of images, in the way the symbols work in Revelation, and even some of the content of the way Revelation's been interpreted for a long time. But being afraid of the text makes interpreting it much more complicated. And I think something that compounds that fear is that readers often forget that Revelation is apocalyptic literature. It's text that is intentionally saturated in symbols and in imagery. And it's intentionally done to communicate meaning and understanding. The trick is we're so disconnected from that world of symbols and meaning that coming to understand what those symbols mean in today's context is a bit more difficult. So we need to remember that revelation and understanding revelation is about deciphering the symbols and the imagery of the text because revelation is a text saturated in that imagery. And so deciphering the use and meaning of those images is incredibly important. However, we also need to keep in mind that the symbols and images have been interpreted for us according to established patterns for long periods of time. And so much so that reading the text of Revelation today with an openness to the imagery that's in the text is rather challenging. Because see, we come now to the text of Revelation with a set of preconceived ideas, notions, or prepackaged interpretations, ready to explain a lot of the things that are there and ready to leave aside a lot of the things that are there because this prepackaged version of understanding Revelation is digestible. First, we need to read Revelation on Revelation's terms. This is key for understanding any set of biblical imagery. And I use Revelation here because it allows us to talk about the points with a bit of clarity. Revelation is a connected text. It has connections to a whole host of other biblical texts. But unless we read Revelation on its own terms first, 
We may not be following the flow of thought that's present as the Spirit inspired John to write the text of Revelation. In other words, we we can't go and read other texts from either testament into or to help us inform the meaning of Revelation until we've read Revelation alone as a kind of coherent whole. See, the text and the symbols of Revelation definitely have roots or connections in other biblical and even in extra-biblical literature. However, Revelation has its own internal logic and use for those symbols, for that imagery. We can see the deep roots or the additional clarity in those connections that lie outside of the text of Revelation. But our first move in understanding Revelation needs to be understanding it on its own terms as the text uses those symbols and imagery as the imagery is deployed in the text of Revelation as a kind of coherent, visionary apocalypse. We need to understand Revelation's logic and the deployment of those symbols and imagery. And after that, we can and should look to connect the imagery to texts outside of Revelation. As a way to highlight the process, our study today takes us to Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27 where those who conquer from the church of Thyatira are promised to rule with an iron scepter or rod and to do so alongside the Messiah. This text finds connections inside the text of Revelation in 12 verse 5 and in 19 verse 15. So we're going to dive in and talk through this set of symbols and imagery and let's see where it takes us as we go. So, an iron scepter. Jesus tells John in chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, that the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. Now, we have to acknowledge that this sounds like a reference to Psalm 2, verse 9. And the history of interpreting this text in Revelation shows us that we are not alone in that acknowledgement. It does sound like that. And we are, at some point, going to have to look at Psalm 2. However, before we move to the imagery of the psalm, we need to understand the imagery of ruling with an iron scepter or an iron rod in the text of Revelation. So, in the case of Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, the church of Thyatira is promised to rule with an iron scepter if they conquer and keep the works of Christ to the end. Now, in the first two chapters of Revelation, we see the resurrected and glorified Jesus Christ. This is an important piece here. He promises his church to join him in this reign as those of the church who conquer and do his works will be given authority to rule over the nations. Whatever the promise was in the psalm, here in Revelation, Jesus is applying it to the church of Thyatira and those who belong to it. As we continue reading in Revelation, we come across the mentioning of one who will rule with an iron scepter again in chapter 12, verse 5. So, first, we have to acknowledge that whatever is going to go on with this idea of ruling with an iron scepter, in chapter 2, verses 26 and 27, Jesus has applied the promise 
to rule with an iron scepter to a church. And specifically, to those who conquer and keep his works until the end within that church. In chapter 12, verse 5, we are told that she, there's a woman here in this text we're going to have to talk about later, gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod, with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and his throne. Revelation 12, 5. Now, tradition and the majority of Christians have understood the child to be Jesus, and this is a symbolized version of Jesus' incarnation in Johannine traditions of early Christian thought. Now, if we're being honest with ourselves, if Jesus is the child, then the most natural reading for the woman who gives birth to him is Mary. But if we're also honest with ourselves, that's a bit odd for the text of Revelation, where everything is symbolic, steeped in imagery. And so we have to ask ourselves, does this understanding, albeit the traditional and the majority one, does it keep in step with what Revelation is doing as a coherent vision, as a coherent apocalyptic piece of literature? And that's my question as I come to this text. The other thing we have to consider in this coherence is Jesus Christ in Revelation is not depicted as a child, ever, unless this is it in Revelation 12.5. This would be the only where this would be the only place that that happens because everywhere else, Jesus is not a child and he's definitely in in no need of any kind of saving. Remember, the child is taken up to be with God, and that seems to be an escape from the dragon who's trying to devour it. Jesus Christ in Revelation is not depicted as a child in need of saving. In fact, Jesus in Revelation is depicted as the Lamb and is depicted as such, especially later on after verse 5 in chapter 12. Or he's depicted as the glorified Messiah who holds all authority and power. But nowhere is Jesus Christ at risk and needing to be caught up to escape some kind of destruction. Even as the lamb, Jesus doesn't need a saving from the destruction of the dragon or the wrath of the dragon, as it were. Even as the lamb, Jesus endures whatever that is as a means of his conquering, but he does not escape it. So whatever it is that he's going to face, Jesus is going to face it as the lamb. And in enduring it, he conquers. And so this idea of being caught up instead of being devoured by the dragon, it doesn't seem to fit some of the depictions of Jesus. Now, there are ways to explain it. I'm not, I'm not going to say that there, there aren't ways to explain it. I'm saying I, I'm struggling to see how it fits. The church of Thyatira, on the other hand, is definitely in need of rescue in the face of persecutions and false teachers, which are mentioned in the letters to the churches. And false teachers are definitely mentioned in the letter to the church of Thyatira. The last place we see the iron scepter mentioned in Revelation is in 1915, and it's clearly in reference to Jesus Christ. 
we're seeing the glorified Christ in chapter 19, and we get this comment. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Here, the reference to an iron scepter is clearly linked to Jesus Christ. However, of the three occurrences in the text of Revelation, this is the only explicit one to Jesus. 12.5 is a bit ambiguous. It's not clear. And chapter 2 is an explicit reference to the church of Thyatira. And so we have one definite reference to the church of Thyatira, one definite reference to Jesus Christ in 19.15, and one that's not necessarily clear in 12.5. So we're left asking ourselves the question, what makes the most sense in light of Jesus Christ and the church, or specifically the church of Thyatira, for Revelation 12.5? Does the imagery of ruling with an iron scepter indicate something to us about the church in 12.5? Or does it indicate something to us about Jesus Christ in 12.5? Again, Tradition says that the child is Jesus, and the mother of Revelation 12 is Mary. However, Jesus in Revelation does not need rescue from the dragon. Even in his death as the lamb, see Revelation chapter 5, Jesus has conquered through the experience of death and resurrection. While Psalm chapter 2 verse 9 is a passage about the rule of the Messiah, Jesus applied the concept to the church, specifically the congregation meeting in Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. So we're left to decipher the symbols inside the text of Revelation that are connected to the symbol of the iron scepter. Or, we're left looking outside of Revelation to decipher it. And I believe that before we can accurately venture outside the text of Revelation to make sense of Revelation, we need to fully explore the world of Revelation, the imagination, the imagery, and the symbols that are there inside the book of Revelation. In other words, we need to take a look at what's happening with the rest of the imagery in Revelation 12, perhaps to see where the connected symbols and ideas will lead us in order to make sense of what's happening in Revelation 12, 5. Given that Jesus has promised his church to rule with him with an iron scepter and that Jesus does not need any saving, we need to take seriously the idea that the child in Revelation 12 might be a way to depict the church of Thyatira or the church universal. Once we've run through that set of connections and symbols inside the text of Revelation, we, we can look into other biblical texts like Psalm 2, Isaiah 30, Jeremiah 19 to further clarify the ideas. But our first stop is Revelation 12. And that's where we'll go the next time we're together. Have a good day. And we'll see you the next time we're on the podcast. Mm-hmm.